0: invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to the fifth chapter of Romans. This morning we want to resume actually our study in the book of Romans. We come to uh, the first four chapters we've worked through the the kind of the doctrine of justification. Paul has set forth that doctrine and he has uh, told us what it really means to be justified by faith In chapter 4, we looked at the life of Abraham with a reference to David and how these great men of God believed God and they were declared righteous in his sight. And now in chapters 5 through 8, we begin to look at the results of that justification or how that justification impacts your life and my life every day. So, We're excited about, you know, our study as we get back into it. In the first four chapters, we've looked at how we all need justification. There are two things you'll never hear from Scripture. One is that you are so good that you don't need the grace of God. You're such a good person that you don't need the grace of God. That's one thing you'll never see in Scripture. But also you'll never see in Scripture that you are so bad or you are too bad to receive the grace of God. We're all sinners, Paul has established in the first four chapters, and we all need the grace of God. And that, that grace that God gives us, that, that right standing with God is given to us through Christ and received by faith. And faith is the great justifier. So we saw Abraham's faith in chapter four, a man who believed God's word, a man who believed that God was able to turn things that were not, into something that is, he was old and Sarah was old, but yet he trusted God to bring forth the promised seed. And God certainly did that. The kind to of summarize chapter four, we see verse five it says to the one who does not work, but trust him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. So faith requires that we come to God with empty hands, but yet with a trusting heart. The one who does not work, we come with empty hands, but yet we come with a trusting heart. So we want to come into chapter five this morning, because chapter five is a real turning point. We talk about maybe the the doctrine of justification becoming kind of a dry theological truth. But Paul turns in chapter five and says that this dry theological truth can cause us to have great joy, great joy. How many of us need joy today? All of us, don't we? We need good news. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning is the joy of justification. How God brings joy to us through justification. How does he do that? Let's look at chapter 5, verse 1 and verse 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exalt. Now, that's an interesting word. We rejoice. We, it's more than just be happy. We exult. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the hope of the glory of God that we have in Christ Jesus. We rejoice in that this morning. We rejoice in the hope that is ours through Christ. We rejoice in the fact that we've been justified by faith. Lord, we have peace with you. Father, we have access into your presence now, even today. So God, we come to you in the name of Jesus this morning, asking you to speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak to those of us who know you and who are believers in Christ. May we be reminded of the great joy that is ours in Christ. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to those here today who are still searching for truth, who are still looking for hope, and Lord, who need today to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that today would be that day and that they would find that joy in you that you have given us. Lord speak to our hearts we pray now in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. How does justification bring us joy? Well let's look at this this morning. I read a story last week of a lady who was leaving a cancer treatment center. As she was leaving the nurse said Susan you take care of yourself. Susan you You take care of yourself. Her response was a little surprising. She looked at the well-meaning nurse, and this is what she said. She said, ma'am, I have ovarian cancer. I cannot take care of myself. My body is broken. I'm on chemotherapy. I'm utterly exhausted. I have to have other people take care of me. I cannot take care of myself. I shared that this morning because I know a number of you know exactly how this lady feels. And she, by the way, was a strong believer. But even strong believers need help, don't we? And our battle today may not be cancer. It might very well be. It may be a financial crisis. It may be a relationship crisis. It may be a business deal gone bad. Any number of things. We all know what it's like to have tough times in life. We all know what it's like to need help. Take care of yourself. How many times have you said that? I say that, take care of yourself. Hey, we cannot do that. We cannot do that. God loves us enough to walk with us and walk through, uh, with us through the difficult times of life. We all in difficult times are prone to, to lose heart, to get discouraged, and above all, to lose hope. Paul tells us today that there is hope. There is one hope that we can have that's immune to every illness, every sickness, every sadness, and even death. And that's the hope of glory in Christ Jesus that we have. Being, because we're justified by faith, we can have joy in spite of our circumstances. So as we look at Romans chapter 5, before we start talking about the joy, let me me tell you something that Paul gives us here, first of all, is a past reality. Look at that in verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith. See, the past reality is that Paul is talking to people who have experienced what he's been writing about the church at Rome, the Christians at Rome who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And the moment we do that, we are justified by our faith in Christ. You know, I've said this for years. People said, Keith, do you believe in once saved, always saved? And I say, no, I don't believe in once saved, always saved. I believe in if saved, always saved. And what I mean by that, I'm not just kind of picking, being picky here, but I mean once you have been justified by faith, Once you have repented of your sin and turned to Christ in faith, you are saved. You are justified. Now, there are a lot of people who make a claim, yeah, I'm a Christian. And, you know, that's why we have this long thing at most Baptist church called non-resident members. You know, we got members of this church, people who said they've made a profession of faith that the FBI can't even find. You know, there, there are people out there, you meet them on the street, are you a Christian? Yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. But there's no concern for the things of God. There's no concern or desire to be with the people of God. But I believe when we have a genuine faith, it changes us, amen? That we are different. And so not once saved, always saved, but if we have tasted of the kindness of God, if we have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we will be different. And when we do that, we are justified. In the eyes of God. And when we are justified in the eyes of God, we have a reason to rejoice. A reason to rejoice. Now this justification that Paul talks about here is a justification. It is a, uh, he's speaking of a legal standing. It is a position of righteousness. Once we are justified in the eyes of God, we are positionally right with God. We are in Christ. We have been declared righteous because of the work of Christ. He took our sin upon himself on the cross and he gives, us our, give, he gives us his righteousness, that miraculous exchange. See, this justification, this standing with God, it makes a difference. It makes a difference. As a matter of fact, it dramatically changes how we view life through the good times and especially through the bad times. Notice how Paul mentions here we should rejoice or exult. What do we have to rejoice about? First of all, we can rejoice because we have peace with God. We have peace with God. Now, peace, that's something everybody wants, isn't it? We hear a lot about peace on earth around Christmas. We just finished the Christmas season. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Hey, wouldn't it be great to have world peace? I mean, just this weekend, some guy, you know, at the Fort Lauderdale airport kills five people. Wouldn't it be great to to pick up the newspaper, to listen to news, and we don't hear hear about those kind of things. We don't hear about terrorists in the Middle East. We don't hear about terrorists in our own country. And we have peace, world peace. Wouldn't that be great? How would we react if all of a sudden we were declared world peace there may be some here today who remember when uh, World War II ended, V.J. Day, and the, the war was over, Japan had surrendered, and we had peace. And remember, there was celebration in the streets. There was great exuberance. That's how we respond when we think that we're at peace, world peace. Unfortunately, that peace didn't last very long. People are looking for world peace. There are other people who are looking for peace of mind. You know, we live in a day where prescriptions for antidepressants, Are among the most common medications prescribed by doctors. People everywhere are searching for peace of mind, and they'd be thrilled to see their anxiety come to an end, to be at peace. There's some people today whose greatest need they feel like is for peace in their home. They live in a war zone, married couples are fighting, there's a great conflict there, children are rebelling. And they're looking for peace in their home. And their homes are far from happy homes because there's so much turmoil there. You know, we told our kids growing up, we're going to have a happy home. And to do that, you have to obey all rules. Obey all rules here at our house. We only have two rules. And these are not the rules Barney Fife gave at The Rock. Although our children, we watched a lot of Andy Griffith. They could recite those by memory, I'm sure. Sure. Well, we had two rules at our house to have a happy home to avoid conflict. Number one was obey all rules. No. Number one was to tell the truth. And number two was obey. (laughs) That covers a lot of ground, doesn't it? But we had to keep it simple. But there are people who are looking for happy, you know, they're looking for peace in their homes. And and I know, you know, my heart goes out today to we have several young mothers. Amen. When you wake up in the morning, you're looking at the clock already and count, when's it going to be 730? When's it going to be 8 o'clock? When's bedtime? I know because we had four of our grandkids this weekend and that's what I was thinking Friday morning. <laughs> got 12 hours. Got 12 hours. Can we do it? Can we do it? No, it was a joy, David. It really was. It was a joy. It was a joy. <laughs> but, I mean, hey, Be honest. Hey, there's a lot. There, we need peace in our life when our children go to bed. They're so sweet when they're asleep. You know, we need peace. There's so much conflict. But, you know, all those things are great. World peace and peace of mind and peace in our homes. But, church, our greatest need is what God gives us through Christ, and that is the peace of God, the peace of God. See, the joy of peace with God. Are they even the reality of peace with God is the result of having been reconciled to God? That's what we're going to see in Romans chapter five. is that, see, we were at odds with God. Before you can have peace, you've got to understand that there's a conflict. We've got to understand that we are at war with God. Look at Romans chapter five verse 10. We are by nature hostile to God. We don't, we, you know, again, we won't dwell on this now, but verse 10 says, for if while we were enemies, look at that, 5.10, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. To have peace with God, we must first realize and admit that there's a broken relationship In reality, the Bible calls it a war, a war. You know, a lot of us have a hard time with this idea. I did. I'm an enemy of God. Yeah, outside of Christ, I'm considered to be an enemy of God. Billy Graham, in his book written back in the 1950s, entitled Peace with God, says this, The greatest warfare going on in the world today is between mankind and God. People may not realize that they are at war with God, but here's the key. People may not realize that they are at war with God, but if they don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and if they have not surrendered to him as Lord, God considers them to be at war with him. Now, Billy Graham is simply saying what the Bible says. That outside of Christ, we're at war with God. How so? Well, see, Scripture tells us that by our nature, we don't want to submit to God. We don't want anyone ruling over us. Paul's told us in Romans chapter 1 that we do not honor him as God. We worship the creation. Hey, we're thankful for creation rather than the creator. And we do not acknowledge him as God. He goes on to say in verse, chapter 1, verse 18, Because of that, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who have suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. See, the reality is when God sees our ungodliness, when He sees our unrighteousness, our rebellious idolatry, His anger is kindled, and church, His anger is justified. While we were yet enemies, We were reconciled to God. See, there's nothing we could do. There's nothing we could do to avoid his wrath. And God's wrath, I like what Tim Keller says, God's wrath is not vengeful or vindictive. You know, his wrath is not like ours where we lose our temper, hot-tempered person. No, God's wrath, Tim Keller says, it is not vengeful or vindictive. His anger is legal. See, he doesn't lose his temper like we do. God's anger is legal. What does that mean? In Nahum chapter one, verse two. If your Bible is like my Bible, that's in the clean part of your Bible. But Nahum one, two says this. God, he he reserves his wrath for his enemies. He reserves wrath for his enemy. See, there are no surprises. John chapter three, verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Condemned already. People are walking around with condemnation on their judgment on their head because they haven't received the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. No surprises on judgment day. No anger thrown out. God reserves his wrath for those who are outside of his grace. Look at John 3.36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The wrath of God abides on him. You say, Keith, this sounds more like a hellfire and brimstone sermon. Hey, this is good news because we don't have to face the wrath of God. His anger is legal. People who are outside of Christ are condemned already. The wrath of God abides on them. Our greatest need is to have peace with God. How can we avoid the wrath of God? Through Jesus Christ. Therefore, Paul says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Look look at Romans 5, 8. Most people know that by heart. We learned that in Bible school. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Wonderful. Somebody has said that Romans 5 is the much more than chapter. Look at verse 9. Much more than. Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. What do we have to rejoice about? We have peace with God. I don't have to face the wrath of God. And when we were going through the off-season program at Alabama, the off-season, it was so tough from, from you know, when the season was over, until spring training, and the, the thing that kept us going was they can kill you, but they can't eat you. You know, that was tough. It was tough days, and life is tough, but we have hope. We have peace with God. We we avoid the wrath of God. Christ took our wrath upon himself and gives us his righteousness. That's good news, church. (laughs) We can rejoice. We don't have to go through life like we've been winged on a lemon. You know, we can be happy. We can have joy. A joy that's sustainable because this is a truth of God's word. We have peace with God. This is why the book of Romans became so significant in the life when we began our study with men like Augustine and Luther and John Wesley. John Wesley was a member of a holy club where they met three times a day. They fasted twice a week. They did all these things. Why? So they could have peace with God. Then one night, John Wesley said, I felt my heart strangely warmed when he began to understand the truth of the grace of God. Luther came to understand that we're justified by faith and faith alone, faith alone, God's glory alone. Hey, that brings peace, that brings peace. I remember the night as a freshman over in Bryant Hall when I came to know Christ and for the first time I lay down and I had peace with God knowing that I'm protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I didn't have to have ulcers anymore. I could have peace with God. And let me tell you, if you're here today without peace with God, and not just the peace of God, but peace with God, you can have that. You can experience that, being justified by faith, simply taking God at his promises, and we can rejoice. Paul reminds us here that we have peace with God, and he also reminds us to rejoice about it. Be glad about it. Exult. Rejoice. The gospel is good news, as Colby said last week. The gospel is good news, not good advice. <laughs> We can get good advice everywhere. Can but the gospel is good news. That's what we need to hear today, good news. And we can rejoice because we have peace with God. Secondly, we can rejoice because we have access to God. The New American Standard says, Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. The New International Version says, Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace. Introduction, access. In the Greek, it literally means to bring near, to introduce. By faith, we are introduced into this grace, into this God of all grace. See, our justification means that not not only are we no longer enemies of God, but we can draw near to God. We can have communion with God. We have access to the creator of the universe, the God of all grace. We have access to him 24-7. It's the type of access you would have to someone important, like to royalty. And let me tell you, we can't develop a personal relationship with a person of, of royalty or a person who's in power unless we have a mediator, unless someone introduces us or grants us access. In Christ, the Bible says, we are ushered into the royal throne room. Saw this a couple years ago, John David, our grandson, our wayward grandson, is a Clemson fan. And uh, a couple springs ago, I took him to Clemson. We went up for a spring practice. We got there, we went right into the athletic department. The girl sitting at this knew we were coming. She welcomed us. Took us into the game room where all the players play their games and ping pong and all this stuff. We went into the dining hall where all the football players eat their dining, have their meals there. After meal, we went into the team meeting. We sat in the meeting where Coach Dabo Sweeney addressed the team. After the meeting, we went into Dabo's office. John David sat in Dabo's chair, had his picture taken. Why? Because of Thad Turnip Seed. (laughs) Thad works in the athletic department at Clemson. And Thad and I are are not close friends, but we're friends, and I told him we were coming. It was because of Thad that we had access to the whole athletic department at Clemson University. Thad opened every door for us because he had connections. See, that's what Paul's telling us here. How about connections with the God of the universe? How about 24-7 access into the creator of all? Through Jesus Christ, the writer of Hebrews says a lot about this. We can come boldly before his throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our times of need. Because we need someone to care for us. We can't take care of ourselves. We have access to the creator of the universe. Because of Jesus, we're no longer enemies of God. We're now children of God. We have access to our heavenly father. We have access into his presence. We can rejoice. Hey, have you ever get down thinking, you know, life is tough? Hey, if you're a Christian, man, think about it. We have peace with God. We have access to God. And thirdly, the main point, I think what Paul's saying, we have the hope of the glory of God. We can rejoice because we have the hope of the glory of God. We exult. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. See, It's interesting, our past has been taken care of. We've been justified by faith. Our past sins taken care of. Our present is under control because we have access to God through Jesus Christ. And then also our future is secure because in Christ we have the hope of the glory of God. I love what E.V. Hill said, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He said, I interpret Jesus can handle my yesterdays. All my sin is dealt with. Jesus can handle my todays. He's there with me. And Jesus is big enough to handle my tomorrows. I don't have to worry about the future. We can rejoice because we have the hope of the glory of God. Justification means a certain hope of glorification. Now, this is not a hope like I hope Alabama wins tomorrow night. This is not that kind of hope. It's a hope that's a certain awaiting certainty It's the hope that is ours, that we look forward to. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says that we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord. This is a hope that began the moment that you became a Christian. And now we are being transformed from glory to glory until we are like him. And we will see him in all his glory. We will experience the glory of the Lord in his presence. That's the hope that we have in Christ. It's a hope that captures our attention. It's a hope that demands our affection, that we long to be with Christ. Isn't it interesting? The more we understand how much God loved us and allows us to have peace with him, and the more we understand how God loves us and allows us to have access to him 24-7, the more we're going to long to be with him the God of the universe, who saved us by his grace. See, this kind of presents a problem to me for a lot of people who say they're Christians. First of all, they have little regard for the glory of God, have little desire for the people of God. And yet they say, I'm going to heaven. Hey, what do you think heaven's gonna be about? The people of God around the throne of God, worshiping the God of glory for all eternity. If you don't have some semblance of a desire now, what makes you think you're going to have that desire for all eternity? The hope of the glory of God. That what it means, I think, to us today is that we're concerned about the glory of God. The glory of God in our life, the glory of God in His church, the glory of God in creation. We have a heart for the glory of God. We long to experience personally the, His glory, we long for His presence. But let me ask you this morning, as his people, do we long for the glory of God in our lives? Do we long to see God glorified in us, in his church, in his creation? God's glory, God's glory. The type of joy that God gives us is a joy that comes from reality, from truth. We have peace with God. We have access to him 24-7. And we have the hope, the hope of the glory of God. This is the source of our joy. And let me tell you, church, this type of joy is sustainable. Now, whether our team wins or loses, that kind of joy is not sustainable. Whether we get that promotion or that job opportunity, that joy come and go. Will come and go. But the joy that God offers us in Christ through justification is a joy that is sustainable. Sustainable. So the, the question is, why are why are we not more joyful? You know why I think one of the reasons? We forget. In Second Peter, you don't have to turn there, but in Second Peter, Peter gives a list of qualities that are true, should be true in the life of the believer. Things like diligence, faith, moral excellence, and on and on. And then he says in Second Peter 1.9, he says, for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Blind or short-sighted, having forgotten that this is no longer part of your character. Is it true? Can it be true that we can forget? Yes, we can. I've said many times, we're what? Monumental what? Monumental forgetters. So why, why did you come to church this morning? So that preacher could remind me that I can be joyful. <laughs> That the joy of the Lord is my strength. That preacher reminded me that I'm a Christian. I have peace with God. I have access to God. And I have the hope of the glory of God. And so I'm going to leave this place today with a smile on my face. In spite of my circumstances. A hope that is greater than any illness. A hope that is greater than any calamity. A hope that is greater than any sadness. A hope that is greater, yes, even than death. And I can rejoice. I can rejoice. We have the certain hope of glory with God. The certain hope of glory with God. See, we don't have to take care of ourselves. God has done it for us. We have a mighty God who cares for us. He's done a work in us and for us that gives us joy in the good times and in the bad. The joy, may we say as Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Let's bow our heads together. As we bow, can I pray over you and just ask you as you're there today? You know, this may sound like a foreign concept to have joy in the midst of trial. Next week, we're going to look at that. We exult not only in the hope of the glory of God, but we exult in tribulation. Tribulation. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Knowing that God is using all the difficulties in my life right now. What you're going through today, God is using that to build godliness into your life. Because he has a purpose. He loves you. He cares for you. And he desires to have a relationship with you. Father, I pray if there's someone here today that does not know the joy of just...